I've heard the tragic news that you don't drink anymore. That's not true. Oh, uh, great. I, uh, I did take a, about a 15-month hiatus. Wow. It's a perfectly fine amount of time. It's like a reset button and yeah. to, to, you know. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. <laughs> what do you have for me? Anything. What do you want? What do you got? Uh, well, this looks nice. What's this? this is tequila. chilled. Yeah, this is tequila. Oh, some of that. It's Friday after all. Oh, listen. Made it through the week. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has a tequila company now, right? Is this yours? No. <laughs> no, but I thought of a great name for one. Tequila Mockingbird. I was literally, literally going to say that. Is, did somebody do it already? No, but oh. it would be amazing. Really? You, th- you thought of that? Maybe we should start it together. And, you know, you take a shot and you bust up we a can, uh, You know, you put something into the thing. My good looks, your acting ability. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Hold on, let me get some. The, oh, I'm sorry. The worst yes. host in the world. Um, <laughs> well, this is long overdue, sir. Fa- yes, it's great to see you. It's great and to see great you. to see that we can actually have a drink together. Not that we need liquor to be entertaining or to entertain ourselves. No. I have uh, no. I have my uh, I have got coffee. I've got tequila. I've got uh, oh, you got coffee and tequila. It's like an Irish whiskey, something like that. So you could do a downer and an upper at the same time. You know, coffee. Oh. I've noticed since I was a little kid, and I think my dad had the same thing. Does not uh, caffeine doesn't make me jittery. Oh wow! I think it's the it's the uh, wow. it's like the, the the way Adderall is prescribed for ADHD people. I think it just kind of levels them out. Although I'm not ADHD. No. Also, you're just very um, sturdily made. I would say. You know, there's, there's something too. about you that's very. I mean, that's partly why you know you have such success as an actor. People like to see. I think they said it about Spencer Tracy. Somebody who just stands there with a pair of balls and says his <laughs> line. You know, you know, you don't ever strike me as the kind of guy who has to like go through psychological traumas in your real life in order you have some, but you don't have to to like do your job. Yeah, you know. I I read a really great autobi not an autobiography, a biography of of uh, Humphrey Bogart called um, uh, Tough Without a Gun. Oh, and, great uh, title. And Tough Without a Gun. It was like, he has the, cra- the craziest story, like born on the Upper West Side, like in the 30s, when the Upper West Side was like... He was not born in the 30s. He was on Broadway ra- in the 30s. Ra- whatever, raised in the, yeah. in, the early, in the early 20th century. I'm getting my time well, He was correct. one of the f- actors who f- made the transition when they went from t- silent to, to talkies. talkies. Yes. And, he was that first generation. And what a voice. Obviously, he had that going for him. But he was like a little, he was like a fuck-up. He went to private school. He got kicked out. He bounced around. And he, like most fuck-ups, ended up in the theater. <laughs> They'll take anybody. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a fascinating <laughs> story. And, 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 you know, differently handsome, I think you could say. As, as handsome challenged. And, um, uh, and, and still, like, what an amazing career. But, I mean, this, I think, says a lot about how deep women are, like, compared to us. Like, there really can't be an equivalent sex symbol to Humphrey Bogart among women, even though Martha Stewart is currently on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. Martha Stewart is conventionally attractive. But, excuse me, 81, What this war on boners must stop. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, Helen Mirren. Is it, in the late 70s. Still and you smoking. think she should be on the cover of Stroke Book? I think uh, you know it's different strokes for different folks, as they w- might say. Exactly, but 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 you know we you <laughs> that's okay. 
I guess that's the correct answer, but I think it's actually shallower to think that you should retain beauty in age. I, Life I, is a series of trade-offs of good and bad. When you're young, you're beautiful, beautiful and not that wise, and then it reverses itself. I think it's actually shallow to think someone should be like physically uh, capable of being on the cover of, of a stroke book at 80. I, I think you're, I think you're onto something there, but I also, I also <laughs> oh, think good. that I also think that it's. I, I I always find it funny how the Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issue tries to reinvent itself every couple of years. Like we're not that here different. to. It's not. It isn't what it is. We're like, wait a minute. I think it's exactly what it is. It's it exactly what it is. It was always in February. It came. Yes. Why February? Because it's that's the uh, football's over. Basketball's in mid-season. Baseball hasn't begun. It's kind of like the it's the, the it's a downtime in R- sports, right? That's so, when, as a kid, I would watch Wide World of Sports, and they'd have things <laughs> yeah. like ice skate, barrel jumping. <laughs> Carlin had a great right. when he would do yes. a thing about Wide World of Sports and just start naming all these stupid things like cross-country ballroom dancing, roller fucking, <laughs> <laughs> roller fucking. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of the Winter Olympics. Is I it, mean, but I mean, the Winter Olympics has skiing, yes, it and it has ice hockey. Uh, yes. You know, you get a. I even got into curling, and believe it or not, it's uh, it's fascinating. Trust me, you spend enough time in Canada, you get into curling, which I'm not suggesting. Why it's a way you, of life. What were you doing in Canada? I was shooting. Uh, oh, uh, movies, of course. Movies and television, making prestige television for the for the right. people. Now, have you ever spent any time in Canada? Uh, <laughs> and in Canadians. In Canadians? No. Um, yes, of course. But on tour, like a yeah. couple of days in uh, yes. Calgary, then up to Edmonton, then right. over to Red Deer. Not Red Deer. Um, Gary Mule Deer? No, <laughs> Gary Mule Deer. <laughs> I barely remembered Gary Mule Deer. I remember him from Make Me yes. Laugh. He made yes. me laugh all the time. He was in that generation with, um, who was the guy who was the doorman at the comedy store? Um Kip Adada. Kip Adada. Who a big hit. When I first saw him, I, I was like in high school thinking about being a comedian. And I saw him on The Tonight Show. And I was like blown away. I think they all were because he looked like he belonged. I mean, he apparently that went to his head a little too much because obviously... Well, I remember seeing the video for the song he did. Remember the song he did, Wet no. Dream? No. Wet it was dream. basically a, a song that was full of fish and fucking puns. Oh, <laughs> This is the eighties. It didn't take much, yeah. but it was a big hit on on the radio in St. Louis, and we all laughed because you you could get away with the things that you weren't supposed to say because it was, you know, you were talking about on porpoise or you know whatever you know. I mean, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> of course. But they made because it was the eighties. They made a music video out of it. Of course. And Kip Adada was doing porpoise. his best, kind of Don Johnson white suit, white suit, looking good, say. you know. What I remember about him was that Tonight Show, and he came over to the couch, and there was other A-list star. I can't remember who it was, but it was Dean Martin or somebody. And he looked like he just, I mean, he, he had a confidence yes. that I assure you I would not have had at that age. And then, um, unfortunately, that, you know, he, drugs. Was drugs, that? God damn it, drugs, John. It's well, always in the drugs. world. I think the world, moved, like a lot of people, the world moved on, and they didn't either adapt or catch up. You know, it's like it feels like sometimes the whole thing is on a on a merry-go-round or a treadmill or something, and it, you're kind of like, wait, when when did the whole landscape shift? Why did I not get the memo? 
because I feel like sometimes whether you're a comic or a musician or a director right. or whatever, and you start, you, you're making the same thing that you made or you're doing the same thing you did. So true. And then the world shifts, and it's like, wait, the, the landscape's different behind me, and now it now it doesn't resonate the way it used to. Well, You've but, always been really good at that because you you stay plugged in, and you stay yeah, and you talk to people, and you engage with people, and have. Uh, and I keep basically the same philosophy for thirty years, even though the politics changes, so my audience sometimes changes. I mean, I've lost a fair number of of this what I would call the super woke, and it's good. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. You were no fun to begin with. You have a terrible sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, you, I think that's... Don't you say... You tell me, because you have a little more of, of a sense of what the mood in the room, so to speak, is. But I feel like that particular affliction is waning in some way. Because it, it feels like it's reached its useful conclusion. The critical mass is like, uh, okay, we get it. We get it. There is there is a useful quality to, to some of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The over the reaction, right. overbearing thing of it is absolutely not useful, and in well, fact, it's counter it's counterproductive to your own point. I you're mean, shooting yourself in the foot and then wondering why you walk with the. Wind. I mean, this is certainly the message I've been putting out there. Whether it's actually happening, the backlash. This is something that comes up. It's so funny you say this. This comes up. So often lately, somebody says this exact thing to me. People I very much respect, and they may be right, and I'm hopeful about that. But there's this idea, oh, we're seeing the backlash. Um, I gave out this award a few, oh gosh, and we've been on strike for almost a month, I guess it was over a month ago, called the Cojones Awards. We invented this thing to give people awards for standing up to cancel culture. It was literally a brass ball thing. (laughs) And I gave one to Trader Joe's because they were there was a threat. Oh, you can't say Trader Jose. Trader Jose. And they said, you know what? We don't think it's racist. Go fuck yourself. We think it's funny. So they got one. Ted and by Sar- the way, it is. And it is. It just is. So, I mean, Ted Sarandos got one for sticking with Dave Chappelle for his special when there was the big trans uh, protest against that. So that's a, an indication to me that if I can have this little award show for people who stand up to cancel culture, maybe that's true. Maybe this is a wave that's coming. But the fact that um, a few people have stood out and did that, to me, does I don't know. These people are not going away. I mean, the strike we're in now is a good indication of it. How everything has become politicized. This strike is not just a strike about writers. Of course, it is that. And and there is a, a, a definitely a need for a new model with the streaming industry. Okay. But, I mean, the way they characterize themselves is, you know, oh, we can't make a, a living wage. Well, there are people who actually can't. Writers are making a living wage. So I, I say it all the time when I talk about how, you know, it must be so hard to do what you do. I'm like, I'm not a lead miner. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> it's there's a yeah. lot. Yeah. There's a lot of harder gigs. Exactly, and and gigs that are less well paid. Look, I'm, I love my writers and all writers, and I am a writer, so I'm very sympathetic. But also, let's just keep it real. 
and also, let's not make it, but they already did, a proxy war for our bigger politics. That's what's different about this strike and I the 07. I see what you're saying. See, this is about, like, oh, we're, we must be perfectly right because we're on the side of the working man, and then you see, like, rock bands out there playing for the picket lines, and it's, you know, it, it, like it's Dylan with the, like you say, with Woody Guthrie, and, and this, this machine kills fascists. Like, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. That can get a little intolerable oh. in its case. But I think what you said at the beginning is correct, and I think that the only other times that this has happened, and I was having this conversation with a very fancy group of people at some point, but I, it, you look back at the history of when this this has gotten into a strikey kind of situation. No, this. Oh. <laughs> and the last time the actors and the writers got together to do this was 1960, when it was about residuals 60? and reruns. 1960 was wow. when both of them went on strike at the same time. Wow. And that every other strike since then has been at a significant sea change in the industry. In the, 80, in the 80s, uh, I remember this because uh, Letterman went off the air, and I was like, what's this writer's strike? What right. do you mean? I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah, I remember that one. You remember what the reason was? Cable TV. Yes. What are we going to do about cable TV? Right. It's going to ruin television, right? right? It's going to ruin television. Then what was 2007 gig about? gig in it. DVDs, home video. Right. It's going to ruin our gig. It's going to ruin our gig. Four years later, you couldn't sell a DVD if it, if right. it was made out of gold. So what are we doing now? It's another sea change in the industry, and, right. and it's and streaming. It's got to it's got yes. to be sorted out. And right. you talk about it as an existential crisis because both sides are saying, well, "Hey, we can't pay the bills," and you're like, "The bills are getting paid." And in fact, the the C suites are making tens of millions of dollars in salary. They don't. They're not. They're not missing a meal. Right. But neither are you guys. Right. <laughs> so let's all yes. take a step back and understand that you have valid points. Right. And exactly. That, and that AI is a real thing that right. ain't going away. Right. It's not going to uninvent itself. No. <laughs> no, exactly. It's yes. just a new technology yes. that is going to be used yes. in support of the human brain. I that, hope. That in the way a, that word processes. That is such a great dissertation on that. Somebody should write that as an op-ed or something. To just to sh You're exactly right. There is a theme to this, and that theme is every time the new technology the new comes paradigm in, shit. we fucking shit our pants when we could. And this is what bothers me about this. The governor of this state could do what politicians used to do called jawboning. He could get these two parties in a room he, and say, listen, I'm the governor of this state. This Figure it out. This industry is a little important to this state. We're kind of known for it. Yeah. You know, Hollywood making magic, silver screen. All that. In the same way, I bet not to keep it bringing it back to the mining class, but I'm sure back in the old days, they the strike did. busters and the Pemberton guards or whatever they were called, and right? The, and the and the and the miners and the crossing the lines and yep. the scabs and the whole thing. I'm sure the governor of Pennsylvania had something to say about it. Of course, and what he would say is might not have been the smartest, and he might no, have had one side over the other. But, but they, either way, what they would basically say, and what Newsom should say is, <clears throat> look, you. We're not going to do this forever, right? Can we agree on that? Let's have that as a starting point. Okay, if we're not going to do it forever, then at some point you guys are going to compromise because I know neither one of you is going to give up everything. So let's pretend it's three months later, and this is really where it's going to end up without all this posturing and all and the kabuki ha of whatever it is. Listen to Weezer play to you on the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or whatever the fuck, and no one wants to destroy your sweater. That's a Weezer reference. Um, um, I I remember having the same this similar thing when I was having a contract negotiation for Mad Men. 
the, la- the final contract negotiation of like, okay, right. now it's time. I've worked under a certain uh, uh, expectation of, of payment and a certain expectation of right. what the show is doing. The show has wildly exceeded that. Right. Now it's time to pay up, pony up. And everybody understood that. And I said, okay, let's go. I said exactly what you said. I said, we can do this for two weeks where we go back and forth and you go, guys, we just, there's no money. There's nothing. Look, we'll open the book. We don't have <laughs> yeah. the money. We just don't. And yeah. I'll go, then I won't show up to work. Right. And I'll quit. And then, and then you'll, no, you can't. And it's James Brown with the thing. And I can't possibly go on any further. <laughs> and then ah, the beat comes in and I throw the cape yeah. off and off we go. Or exactly. we can cut to the chase. Right. And right. I know what I'm worth and you know what I'm worth. And, and so let's get to there, and then we're done. And 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 it, it could it could always be done that way. That's such an interesting analogy. But you're totally right. Like they both know the number. They both know the number. And and yet they can't. It's so sad. Well, and I think human. part of it is. I really do think part of it is that the studios are not in the business of giving up anything. What bu- what business is? What business is? That's exactly. capitalism. That's exactly what it is. You try to keep is. as much as you can. I'm going I'm to lie, cheat, and steal yes. to keep my pile bigger than you. Assuming yours. you're doing the same Assuming thing. Assuming you're doing the same thing. That is capitalism. And, and, it, and it, this is when capitalism runs into the, yes. the forces of, but of also, labor. I mean, because capitalism harnesses that part of us, which is real, and which is always going to be there, it has been more successful than anything else in history for raising people out of poverty and giving them a good material life. And not only Socialism that, did not do not that, that, though we need some socialism. Something to aim for. Yes. As- aspirational. It's human nature. Yes. The whole reason that, that the, the, the woefully underserved and, and um, poor, poorer people in this country tend to, quote-unquote, vote against their own interests in the Republican Party is, well, what happens when I hit the lottery? What happens when I'm rich? Because I'm going to be rich. Sinclair Lewis um, called them temporarily inconvenienced millionaires, poor people. That's how they thought of themselves. Isn't that great? I mean, it's a great, it's a great yeah. turn of phrase, and it's a great description of that mentality. And, and, and I, I always get back to, like, having done a show for 10 years about the good old days. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, you know, didn't have to listen to minorities. Right. And if you were gay, right. you hide that under the bushel. Right. And men, uh, ruled, men ruled the world. White, straight men, by right, the way. Straight the, men, God forbid yes. you're black or right. any other color. No, it was a lot of bad. The maximum tax rate was 75%. Right. And you know what? People still did okay. <coughs> yeah. But you know what else happened? Roads were clean. And they worked great. And there were libraries. And there right. were all these social services that existed to help everyone and, else and children, get up. And children learned things in school. Yes. We gave up on that thing of teaching children things. I mean, you know why we did? <laughs> because I don't want to pay for your dumb kid. That's what it turned into. Why should I have to pay for your dumb kid? And there's a lot of racially codified stuff in that too, but that's what happened. I don't know if that's true. The, the, there was, I think we've thrown more money at the education system uh, by decade than ever. We keep throwing more money at it. That's not what's happening. They... I've known people who were like substitute teachers, and they said, you can't believe, and these are, this is not in some poor school district, and said, yeah, the kids all have like giant computers on their desk, which they use to play to play uh, tour of duty or whatever the fuck. Two of, my, two of my very good friends teach in the LAUSD. 
and they have similar issues with the teachers union and how the, how much waste there is and and graft and not the right teaching. Thing. And it's yes, there's there's a there's a lack of of motivation for that to happen. Classes are way too big. You're basically managing no. kids that are undiagnosed with a lot of issues. There's language issues. There's classes there's are not of, always not always. Sometimes classes are way too big. Not in like in these nice schools. Not only are they not too big, but like anyone, any kid who's deemed like special needs, and of course, there's been a lot of mission creep on that term. Sure. Okay. Any kid who's special has to have like a, a second person. I think this person who was telling me about it. There was like 20 kids in the class and like eight of them had, or four of them or something like that, had another person in the class with them. This other, so there were like five teachers in a classroom of 20. <laughs> the teachers were overcrowded, okay. not the kids. Uh, that's, I, that hasn't, I haven't heard of that. But no, I, I, I'm, I will also say though, to your, to your point about special needs, because I was raised in the 80s. I went to a very fancy private school because I... My mom wanted me to go there. Her dying wish was for me to go there, and I was smart enough to get in, and we had enough wow. whatever to, for me to get in and go. Changed my life. Completely really? changed my life. I had a beautiful school. had a beautiful 7th through 12th grade experience. Yeah. My best friend, who I, who's still my best friend and is going to be the best man at my wedding, wow. um, went to the same school, and he couldn't get the lessons. And I was always like, what's the deal, man? It's like, let me help you out. Let me show you what's up. I'll help you. I just don't know. Turns out he's mildly dyslexic. has a learning disability. He can't read as fast as I can. Right. Just that. Yeah, sure. His brother, six years younger than him, same thing. By that time, the school had re- recognized that that's a thing. Right. And his brother sailed through that school like crazy because he had the extra attention. He had the extra time and as we were saying before both things are true both things are true and both i think things, when you when it starts to get yeah. this dialectic where you right. cannot have right. one thing because the other and thing that's the problem be. see like if this was cnn um the democrat well would, first of all trump would be on trump would be on i'll get to that in a minute <laughs> but i think they should have put him on i do too i, I just, yeah okay so I would have had a different approach to the interview style, but there we go. I mean, I don't blame her that much either, but I did have issues, and I don't want to talk too much out of school because I do a little thing on CNN now, and I'm, I love the guy who's running it, and I think he's got a big job ahead of him, and he's doing a good start. But like the panel afterwards, the Trump thing, that's what bothered me because... CNN has got to find a way to find people instead of six people who, no, I, I, no one has been harder on Trump than me, but to have then six people all just, as soon as it, shut, it ends, and this is a thing where he is a hero in this room. He did very well with the crowd. You can't deny that. You can hate him and hate what he's saying. I get all that and agree with most of it, but the crowd loved him. He was getting big laughs, big applause. You could just tell he had them in the palm of his, okay, that's at least half the country. And then you're gonna have six people who just come on and just, well, he lied, the lies, the lies. Of course, yes, we get it, he lies. You need someone who knows how to talk about this in a way that's a little more balanced, that doesn't deny that, but tries to explain to America why, okay, yes, these are bad things about Trump, but, um, Here's why this is even more appealing 
than what you're selling and why people don't care as much about it as you do. You know, he lies and they're thinking, yeah, but all politicians lie. Now, I would make the counter argument, not to this degree about these issues, but just to start hammering away six people all on the same page. On the same piano key. I can, on the same piano, I can find you people who could be much more interesting talking about this Donald Trump. It is hard to do because he is an incredible liar about the most important things and denying elections. Two things can be true. Right. But those can be bad. Those are bad things. Bad things. And yet they resonate. And so the, the dumbest thing you can do is tell an audience that they sh- this is and wag your wag your finger at them and say this is why he's a bad man. Right. And they go, "You know what? Fuck you. I don't care. I'm going to vote for him just to piss you off." As a comedian and host of a TV show and podcast, I get to live in my own little show business bubble. But I had no idea that in the real world it can now take up to 11 weeks on average to hire for an open job position. Even in this economy where apparently nobody wants to work anymore. So if you're hiring for a growing business, do you really have that kind of time to wait? Well, I've got some advice for you. Stop waiting and start using ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter can help you find qualified candidates for all your roles fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash random. ZipRecruiter can help you hire in a bunch of ways. They have matching technology, kind of like a dating app, but for work. And you can personally invite people to apply with just a click. It's a recruiting tool with 80% of users getting a hit in the first day. So speed up your hiring process with ZipRecruiter. See why 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash random. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash random. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by Lumi. Have you heard of microdosing? It's being used more and more by people looking to improve their health and performance. And if you look around or watch the news or God forbid use social media, there are plenty of reasons to need a dose of something to calm you down. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Whether you're seeking relief from pain, anxiety, better sleep, a creative boost, or just to relax at the end of the day, or to get through your boss droning on about nothing at work, microdose gummies are the perfect solution. And if you want more than a microdose of THC, they also make higher dose gummies that are available in six strains, including strawberry cookies and watermelon sorbet. Microdose gummies are available nationwide. Here's an exclusive offer for my listeners. Simply go to microdose.com and use the code RANDOM and save 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Go to microdose.com and use code RANDOM to save 30% and receive free shipping. Microdose gummies, because being healthy doesn't have to be boring. Go to microdose.com today. Do you like adventure? Check out Expedition Unknown, a podcast with Josh Gates from Discovery Channel. Josh Gates is a member of the Explorers Club and has a degree in archaeology. Panty dropper alert! On Expedition Unknown, he travels all over the world searching for lost cities, buried treasures, and the truth behind unsolved legends. From the remote jungles of Cambodia searching for a lost relic to the American Midwest to find the legendary loot of Jesse James, Gates wants to get to the bottom of these mysteries. Listen to Expedition Unknown wherever you get your podcasts. You know what? I got to tell you something. You did real-time 
Two, three times? A couple times, yeah. I remember you said to me once, you said, damn, I'm gonna learn how to do this show one day. <laughs> Which, and that's, was, you're being too hard on yourself. You're perfectly fine. And that is a different show. Yes. But sitting here and talking to you now, I'm like, oh gosh, I see what he's talking about. You're a great political, you know, I'm political, engaged. social. What? I'm engaged with oh, life. I think I'm talking about the I'm marriage. <laughs> That's changed my life. I, I, but, but by the way, let's not bury the lead. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, it has changed my life. I feel very, I'm very happy. It's, I it's see. Wonderful, it's you wonderful. You look great. You Thank look, you. you look healthy. I'm makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're having a, a one or two drinks. I mean, it's a, it's certainly, it is, it I think is. it's healthier than being in this, these people who are, Drunks, and then they become a kind of a worst version of a drunk. A We've kind of all a, met that person, yeah, <laughs> right. And some of us have met that person on more than one occasion, and right? Met that person in different versions of that person too. And I, the fun thing about coming to this show right after therapy, which I literally came here from there, is these things are kind of recently been talked about. But I, you know, there is a. Anybody that that examines their relationship to whatever the fuck they use to take the edge off or manage stress or deal with trauma or what have you is is going to come up against okay what what is it doing I used to smoke cigarettes you know because that's too. what you did because it was cool and then I was like at a certain point I was like what am I doing I don't me too I don't like this but it took me twenty years it took me as many years too and I did so. it twice I started smoking when I was sixteen because it looked cool man right. And I was playing baseball, and that's what everybody did. But, and in Bad News Bears, Kelly Leak smoked cigarettes, and he looked cool, and he rode a motorcycle, and, you know, give me a break. Got to do it. John, why do you need therapy? You don't need therapy. I think everybody could use a, a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, some kind of check-in. Really? How you feeling? What do you feel? I don't know. Maybe you have it with your friends. Maybe you have it with somebody. I like a, a non... I have it with me. That's I mean, I have, fact- it with my, I have it with my friends, too. But, I mean, look, I'm just talking out of my ass. <laughs> I don't know you like that. I think, though, but too. But I just feel like I'm talking to a guy who has a very, like, sound grip on life and reality. It, it doesn't compute to me why you would need to talk to somebody. But maybe you have demons. I don't know. It's not about demons. It really isn't. It's not that... Uh, going to therapy is not, is, is, is not a, really about sort of wrestling with these you know, as you say, existential problems. It's more about kind of checking in and seeing where you are and maintaining a presence and a perspective on So does the uh, lady or dude, like, have they said things to you that you were like, oh, I was not aware? Uh, Oh, okay. For sure. And again, it's a a third-party perspective on whether it's relationships, career, um, drinking, partying, life, whatever, whatever. And I, and I had a, you know, I had a great session today because it was like, I'm in a good place. Had a couple things to talk about. Talked about them. Got some, got some perspective on it. Hmm. And you know, it's 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 helpful. I think it's helpful. Yeah. And I, guess- I have, I, you know, look. Lost my mom when I was ten. My dad when I was twenty. My my growing up was a hodgepodge of parents, lack of parents, family, lack of family, different family, different definitions hmm. of family, living by the grace of other people. Mm. understanding that I had to, you know, kind of self-motivate in a lot of ways. And that's, there's a lot of like extra baggage that you, you carry because of that, that you, that you, that's unconscious, unconscious. But 
I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but did you ever think, you know, maybe, I mean, I feel like a lot of therapy is making you dig into things that maybe you wouldn't have dug into on your own or dredge up stuff. Maybe, again, devil's advocate, it's it's the human mechanism to forget because it's like, yeah, that shit happened and it was bad, but now it's so many years later. I think we're going to get to the same thing about two things can be true. I think yeah. there's, there's a very valuable... Um, part of living that is forgetting and letting things go. Um, and I think that there's a valuable part of life that is examining things that you have been through. Well, can I tell you a short story to my perspective on this? Yes. It may, it may not add anything, but it is so true. April 7th of this year, I looked at reading the newspaper and I looked up and I saw the date and I went, <gasps> because April 7th, was the 50th anniversary of the thing that to this day was the most traumatic thing that ever happened to me in my life. My girlfriend of one year and three months dumped me on April 7th, 1973. And this was so prevalent in my mind, in my life for so long that I used to write a journal like on April 7th and January 7th because that was our first date and then I added the other two sevens, so I had four times a year. But that was really the providence of it. And for many years, this was just so... If it, it wasn't after five or six years, I'm sure it, it, it ebbed as something that was emotionally there. But I, I still was writing the journal on those days, and I would never forget. This was the... And when 50 came along, it's like, oh, my God, I wouldn't have even thought of it, except I saw it in the paper. Yeah. And just the idea that I could come from this place where this thing was like my 9-11 to where I don't even remember that it's a big anniversary. I, it just shows that, yeah. I, I, I'll say this about that because that's, it's, it's actually very <laughs> funny, <Yeah>. first of <laughs> all. <laughs> Pathetic, you mean? <laughs> no, I think funny. I think it's funny. I think that that's actually, that is a supremely human thing. Yeah. And I think, I think, Everybody has a version of that, whatever that is. It might not be as bold-faced as a date, right. but everyone has a moment that they, especially from that time of their lives. I read a book, forget who wrote it, about the human brain. And it talks about how when, we're, when you're young, up until about your mid-20s, your, your brain... Uh, paths, you know, your neuropaths and your your synapses or whatever are, are are significantly wider. It's the 405. Right. And so all the stuff that comes barreling down there hits you like a like a f- ton of bricks. Emotions and love and f- comedy and and uh, right. drama and sadness. All of it is so much more elevated when you're that because the because the literally it's a physical thing. Not to interrupt. I'll let you get back to this in one second, but. That thing about narrow and wide pathways is true of all the things in the body. It's why it people have urinary problems. It's why people have heart problems. Yes. You want to keep the passageways free. So I've never heard this aspect of it, which is fascinating. Well, so part you're of it saying is, because the ones in the brain are also wide. Yes, and part of it is that you, yes, your brain is still developing. And you're right. still developing the little side streets that are like right. nuance and other things and, and <laughs> other interests and whatever. You know, and, and now we look like the overpass. 
Van Nuys. A map of Tokyo. <laughs> We're um, like Woodstock '99 down there oh now. God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you're 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 still developing those those side streets and things. So it's all right. going down the 405. Right. And so you know, what are you thinking about when you're 14, 17, 19? Right. Sports, pussy, pussy, <laughs> pussy, and pussy. Yes. And it's, you know, it's food. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's nuts, but it's true, and it, it's it's it cuts across all sexes and genders and affiliations and what have you, and it's it is what it is. Like we are, as you say, at the end of the day, the the one thing that binds us all is that is this physiology is the same. We are, for the most part, the same, and I think if we all got back to that, and if we could figure out that you know it doesn't matter. Reading about this like stuff in the Ukraine and how they're how all of the, the, the wars happening here, it's like, guys, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to go home, mm-hmm. make sure their kids are safe, mm-hmm. eat, and Ugh. go sleep and go to work. Everyone wants to have a job. It's, and the job right now in Ukraine is making sure the Russians don't come in. Not to be and glib- the job in the Russians is like, eh, Not to be uh, glib about it or compare these as the same level problems at all, but just on a psychological level, the Ukraine war is exactly the writer's strike, what we were just talking about. It's like they're, you're going to make a settlement, right, at yeah. some point. It's not going to go on forever. Why can't we do it tomorrow instead of all this pain? And humans are not yet able to fucking accomplish that one. Maybe, I, maybe AI can help. Maybe we'll have trust in AI that it'll just tell us the right fucking answer and we'll all agree. But, but as of now, that can't happen because AI is programmed by humans. And, and that's why, have you seen this? It's so funny. AI just makes shit up. Yeah. Like, 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 out of like whole, humans do. Like humans do. <laughs> but like out of whole cloth. Yeah, no, if, I, somebody said they the, did a whole thing like describe yeah. me and the guy was like, and he founded the institute yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like, wow, no, I'm amazing. No, exactly. It just is, uh, it's a bullshitter. Uh, anyway. Then it really is uh, human. But this thing about the passageways I find fascinating because like. I think it was called, I think it was a book called The Body by Bill Bryson. Is that name ring a bell no, never interviewed him no but i mean you know he I mean, was a um don't ask me about what i remember he was he made his made his like bones in uh travel writing he wrote about uh australia he wrote a book called in a sunburn country uh-huh. and then he wrote a uh book about traveling through england called a green leafy space or something but he also wrote he just kind of does these deep dives into very specific things uh-huh. he's a really funny writer um he wrote, a, uh, the first time I was introduced to his writing was when I was in college and had no money and would go to the bookstore when they had bookstores. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just read books in there for hours on end because it was free wow. and it was uh, entertaining. And he wrote a, a book called Among the Thugs and it was about following the uh, hooligans for Manchester United, like for a season. And it was fascinating. This was back in the, in the 90s when nobody knew what that was all about. You'd hear stories. There was no internet. There was, you know, you'd have to like look at an English football magazine, <laughs> which no one had. <laughs> but it was a fascinating thing of like, wow, man, these guys like go hard. Right. 
<laughs> like just roving bands of guys like bass, like Peaky Blinders with you know like <laughs> chains uh, wrapped around the thing. Like for what? I love Peaky Blinders. It's a great, it's a great show. Not just. <coughs> oh shit! You're killing me, John. <laughs> <coughs> You're literally killing me. And I tell you, I'm sure for a lot of women, the image of you sneaking away to read books in the library because you were too poor, the handsome guy, handsome guy reading books, that has got to wet in more panties <laughs> than scented candles. I, I used to go to the Walden Books in Florissant, Missouri. I used to ride my, bikes to Walden, my bike to Walden Books. Through Ferguson, by the way, perfectly oh, normal. Famously, community. Ferguson from the from the from the riots. Right. Uh, that was my route, and I, unlike most people that are scared and freaked out by black people, grew up around black people. So it was like, oh, this is what Ferguson is. It's where black people live. And I don't it's think a nice most place. people today are freaked out or scared. You should go uh, to the Midwest. I said most. Fair enough. Some people, yes. I think this country has changed a lot and some way in some places in some places it hasn't. But I feel like the the overriding thing is I am terrified of that which I do not know. And what what this great information age that we live in has only accelerated is how much we don't know. And it's not helping people know it more, it's helping them be more afraid of it. Does that make sense? Yes. But on the other point, I just got to say I travel this country all the time. I know you, you know, do. Doing, and you, you obviously travel a lot yourself. I mean, you're on movie sets in different locations. But I'm just saying, I travel around the country. I feel like I'm, because of everything that's happened, especially in the last three or four years, since the <clears throat> 2020 social justice protests and so forth, I feel like, but even before that, I feel like I try to be hyper vigilant of noticing, like, I'm just, as an observer, what's going on between the white and the black folks that I see here in the hotel lobby, you know, uh, at the airport, uh, you know, transportation. You just right. see people at the theater. I just don't see a lot of hate and mistrust among, like, actual people. I think that... You that can see it in their faces. Your, your experience of your crowd and of the people that you're seeing, too, is... is, is but that's a lot well, of... But I'm, not, I'm not disavowing it. But, the, but really, the, like, the... Mystic Lakes, Minnesota, is that really that different? Yes, it is probably. There, I'm sure there are much more rednecky places. But it's also not, you know, uh, Greenwich Village. And, yes, and nor is it uh, East Atlanta, nor is it, you know, Okeechobee, Florida. I mean, it's, yes, there yeah. are regional differences and all that stuff. My only, this is my pie-in-the-sky kind of Midwestern optimism, too. It's like, I wish people led with curiosity and a wonder about what the difference is rather than fear and holding it at arm's length because I don't know what that is, therefore it might kill me, therefore I won't engage. But see, you're not allowed to do that anymore, according to the woke. So you're describing what I'm always talking about, which is like woke is the opposite of liberalism. It's not building on it. Um, Curiosity about people and their differences, that's out. That's what liberals were interested in. Uh, now, if you ask someone where you're from, meaning it's a microaggression, it's a giant aggression, <laughs> and you're fucked. It's happened to many people. See, you're not allowed. Don't you think, though, that, okay, I think, I also feel like there's a sliding scale, correct? 
that certain people get away with in my industry, Correct. for example. Oh, totally. Uh, you're not allowed to play gay, or unless you are. Which is... So you're not allowed just, to play trans, unless you are. Right. Uh, you're not allowed to play uh, a, a different gender, unless you are. That's, so it's a little bit like, okay, not unlike what we're talking about with the writer's cycle, what are we allowed to do? Well, Just, first, just first let me all, know. It is literally the opposite of what acting is. Yes. Is being what you're not. But it, it's worse than that. There's a woman who wrote a book called American Dirt. I don't know if you heard of it. it was I have heard of it. Three this. years ago. It's going to be a big book. Oprah was all over it until she wasn't, um, as I recall. And because it's a white lady imagining what it would be like to go through what a migrant crossing the border, a Mexican. Right. And because she's a white lady, you're not allowed to imagine what it's like to be a Mexican. And see, again, opposite. Liberalism is, was about, is about empathy. Like, no, I, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes so I can feel your pain. Right. That's, you know, traditional liberal compassion. Now, that's the, that's the sin. So, like, you can believe anything you want. Just don't say that's the thing that's liberalism because I, I'm going to stick with what it was. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to claim that. Yeah. Like empathy, liberalism, empathy, and you want to do this other thing where if I try to be empathetic to something I'm not already, then I'm the bad person. Great, you have that. That's your <laughs> thing, but that's not what our thing was. So don't take the name of my thing and put it on your stupid thing. I also feel like if we're talking again about how pathways are, are wider and that, that this a lot of this is being run by people that have very little experience in the world. <laughs> and how exactly. the world works. Yes. Because it's great when you're 23 exactly. and you know everything. And then the, you go into the world and you realize how much you don't know. And you can stand when you're a sophomore in college and tell everybody how everything is supposed to work and this, that, and the other. And it's adorable. <laughs> but I feel like that's what's happening now is that it's being run from the top down by this kind of... Exactly. And I, not, not, not trying to be shitty or, or, or no. even snarky or anything, but no. just like saying like, there's a lot of people where I feel like the, the realities of the world haven't sunk in yet and their pathways are a little too yes broadway yeah. and they need some they need some side streets on both on both sides for sure and the other sides the is obviously that because it's easy and again it gets back to this idea of like let's make america great again like right what part because we all know what part you're talking about and and it, it's and, and by the way it's still great Right. I mean, some of that is true. Some of that is racial. There's no doubt about it. Like for a lot of people, especially poor people, you know, if, like if you were slightly ahead of another group because and this was the way it has been and to a degree it's, that still obviously happens sometimes. But if you had this automatic advantage, which is, oh, we're both up for the job. I'm white, they're going to give it to me because the other guy going up for the job is black. Now that is, Or the other guy's Italian. Yeah, that's, that's the history of America. Yes. Up until a certain point where, okay, then we changed the law. That didn't mean people still didn't do it. But for a while, it wasn't even against the law. Yeah. Okay? So then, okay, now it's against the law. This is how society changes incrementally. Yes. There is no, there's no revolutions, just evolutions. So 
you, I always keep just keep saying, let's live in the year we're living in. How much of this is going on now? Now, there are certainly many places where you're in an advantage to be a person of color because the last thing that's cool now is white, older, male, you know. So, this, great, I'm all for that. Turnabout is fair play. But just don't, don't look me in the eye and tell me the thing that was happening 30 years ago is happening now or that we're at the same place. We're definitely not the same place. Yeah. I would take issue with the fact that it's not happening. I didn't say it wasn't happening. Right. But what you said, don't tell me that the thing is happening well, then isn't to, to happening the degree, I said to, to the, the degree, degree it was yes. 30 years ago yes, or even 10 sure. years ago. And it's what you said, like, I'm. if you look at history and you expect there to be these page turns of like now we're like the supreme court decided that racism was over so they got rid of the voting rights act and you're like that seems premature it was that was that seems premature and that seems well, motivated by a by a but again particularly the, political and not jurisprudential uh uh set of uh of uh yeah, criteria it's 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 totally political but here's the thing. The reason why Republicans want to stop black people from voting is because black people don't vote for them. The reason why they Republicans want to stop anybody from voting is because they don't have enough votes Well, they in, don't the, have, in well, the country. Well, they would have to suppress the votes among the people who vote for the other party. That's what that's about. I mean, up until the, 19, into the 1920s, black people voted for Republicans. Well, the Republican was the Party was wildly different. Than, yes, yeah. I'm saying, but Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican, and all the this, the Democrats up until the 40s. 60s. Yes, Strom Thurmond and Lyndon right. Johnson pissed all the Southern Democrats. Well, they, That's were, what they were Dixiecrats. They yes, were the indeed. they were the uh, ultimate segregationists. A man who, until the 20, almost the 21st century, referred to a microphone as a machine. A machine. I, mean, I remember that in the Robert Klein routine. Speak into the machine Saturday. But a man who ran against Zach Galifianakis's uncle in North Carolina, who would have won had he not said that uh, because Zach's uh, uncle or cousin or whoever it was that ran was was Greek, Mm, said he's not one of us. Oh, God. He's the other. Yeah, they're, the Greeks, they're, the real insidious crowd <laughs> that want to give you food. Yeah, I mean, they're practically Albanians. <laughs> like Belushi, another one you got to right. keep an eye on. No, he was Macedonian. I thought he was Albanian. I mean, they're, no, I, well, yes, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yes, you're if right. If only there was a machine. I'll be kept in our pocket. It had all the facts <laughs> no, at our fingertips. No, I remember times. it now. I saw the documentary. Fair yes, enough. Albanian. You're correct. But uh, you know, I think it's I think it's a I again I, I I maintain, and I think it's what's kept me moving forward in my career, my life, and all the things that the setbacks I've had to deal with, whatever part of my life that I have, I maintain an optimism about not just my own existence and self and people in the world, but I I, I feel like. Everyone's like, oh, Trump, it's going to be the end of the thing, and that's a wrap. And you're like, or <laughs> yes. it's going to be four weird years. Right, as it was. And it was four weird years. Well, I mean, obviously, the problem with Trump, again, is that it changes just the very nature of the country, so we're, we don't really abide by elections anymore. That's the biggest That's problem. the hard one to take, <clears throat> which I don't think is permanent. 
I don't think so. Again, no, it's I, my optimism. I, I do think it is. Well, I think once you go to that step where you don't, then it's going to be a long time. Then we're, we're not, this country will not come back until Charlton Heston finds the arm of the Statue of Liberty sticking up out of the sand. But that's the, pessimism. I'm optimistic. Yeah, that, that is, we're uh, talking about the Statue of Liberty <laughs> buried up to her fucking Hard heartbeat. pessimism. That is pessimism. But I truly believe, well, we certainly will not be a democracy anymore. We'll be more like countries where the, the people in power just use that power to keep their grip on power. Yes, and I feel like that, I do feel like that that was the, the tipping point on January 6th was certainly that. And this idea that the side that engendered that particular situation decided that they were not then going to, because they had to, say that it wasn't what it was. Mm. Now we're in like, Stalin's yes. thing of like we're that yeah. you did what you saw. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. Like we all watched it. I watched it sitting in my office with my jaw on my desk, going like, "But this isn't. This can't be happening." But see, the Democrats' mistake with that was to try to pin the whole thing on what Trump said that day to the crowd. The crime wasn't what he said that day. The crime was the everyday after the election when he didn't admit he lost. It was an everyday crime. It wasn't like- I'll go back even further because I watch oh, me your too. show- Yeah, sure. Every week and I watched you say, this is a slow moving coup. And exactly. it's the only and I way said it he can was never in the United give, States. And he was never, never going to give concede. up power when he does. Right. And he went out the back door. And he's still doing it. And he's still doing it. And, and it's, it's a bummer that I don't know what's going to happen with DeSantis and all the nonsense that is coming out of Florida, but Florida's at peak Florida at this point. <laughs> wow. Um, Why? Were you there recently? No, I just, oh. just I, reading the news. It's yeah. like, how are you going to get in a fight with Disney? That's a, that's right. a, that's a losing uh, <laughs> argument. Oh, today they, they pulled out pulled their, a billion dollars a billion or whatever. Do like, okay, good like for business. Bob Iger. God love him, the guy, who, the guy who fired me at ABC. But no. see, again, I can't, so many years ago, it's, it's almost like the, uh, my 50th anniversary thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, there was a moment when it was like, oh, ABC, you bastards, just because all the sponsors pulled out, you have to fire me. But I was never that bitter. And, and like, I don't even think about it. I've seen Bob Iger out many times at parties. But so, let me I put don't it give to you a this shit. Way. And what a, what a badass move he pulled. I got to yeah, give agree. it to him. And let me put it to you this way, because I think this is a, I think this is works as a, thought exercise you were for want of a better word back in 98 99 when was when was uh that was on from 93 to 2002 2002 okay i was a couple years off you were canceled correct literally canceled well <laughs> before canceled. it was and before, it was, before, it, was before cool. it was literal um the world yeah you were canceled but you were also canceled because oh you couldn't trust you yeah that's TV. true god <laughs> yeah no one could be trusted you can't as far right. as i can throw him right he's with the terrorists <laughs> look who comes back up because what you're saying and what you're doing is <sighs> actually relevant and so there's always going to be a market yeah. for that. And so I think that, again, when we're talking about this cancel culture, there were people that deserved to be canceled in some way, shape, or form. The reach exceeded their grasp, I think. Right. And then it became, oh, how did you, what was this? And he said, <laughs> she said, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of people got scooped up in a net. That, right, yes. But th overall, the correction corrected itself. And then 
un, then, then those people that were scooped up, they're fine. Everyone's right. doing their thing. Well, people, Chappelle's not wanting for work. Well, you're picking a, an example. There are many people who are not doing fine who are scooped up in the net. Have lost plenty. You, you, example, yes. Al Franken. Now uh, that was that was a, a once again ridiculous overcorrection. Okay, but that's I'm saying I, I could name lots of people who got scooped up. I think, I, I, and I wonder to this day, had Al said no. Yeah, he should have. And he he should have. And I think he knows it. And I think you know. I mean, I'm uh, so fond of Al. As am I. Yeah. Um, I I I went on fundraising trips to Minnesota with Al and watched him really? with his constituents wow. in a room in uh, Duluth, in uh, uh, Eden Prairie, and all these places in, in um, Minnesota. And, and it was very clear to me that the guy was like engaged, loved his oh, constituents. and smart. Had smart as all get out and, and funny. And, and also a homework doer. Yes. Not a show pony. I mean, I thought he took it a little too far. And there was a long time he wouldn't do. I understood why he was a comedian elected to the Senate, so he didn't want to do comedy stuff right. on shows. And then, of course, after he was out of office, he didn't have to worry about that. Um, I mean, he was a little rusty, but Al's just a great comedian, first of all. You know, but he is wildly intelligent, and you can use that in the Senate. And he could have been a big force by now. He could be running for president. I literally. said this. I mean, about Zelensky's that. a comedian. Yes. And I said this about that when Trump ran the first time. I was like... And by the way, Al Franken, you could still do it. I, I don't, I don't think the final page is turned on well, that Well, first chapter. of all, just because you're not in the Senate, people... Trump wasn't in the Senate. No. Trump was barely in polite society. I, I, he, I am 100% and would endorse that tomorrow. Yeah. I said this I about... I that before, but I, yeah, he could just say, fuck it. There's no rules anymore no. who can run for president. There's no rules about anything, but especially that. The Rock is thinking out loud about it. Yeah. You know, Caitlyn Jenner wanted to be governor of California. Schwarzenegger it's like, was. It's like you when the good rolls dry up, I'll run the world. <laughs> <laughs> The skincare world is heavily female-driven and has long been the wild, wild west for men. Whether men can't find the right brand or simply lack knowledge and understanding of it, skincare is something that requires attention. Luckily, men's skincare has never been easier with Caldera Lab. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. Use our exclusive code RANDOM at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. As a man, you have to take care of your skin. Plastic surgery doesn't work for men, as I like to say. Then you look old and weird. Inside the regimen bundle, you'll find your skincare dream team, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. It's an awesome face wash, a daily moisturizer, and then a go-to serum used at night before bed to make your skin look tighter and smoother. Avoid looking like you just came off a bender with Keith Richards and take the leap to skin royalty with Caldera Lab. Get 20% off with our code RANDOM at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com by using code RANDOM. Take your health to the next level in skincare with Caldera Lab. 
was at some fancy dinner again because I get invited to these things and I love Look at going. You, Mr. Fancy. Dinner. And the question came up like, how is Hillary going to beat Trump? And I said, they should hire joke writers because the one thing Trump cannot take is a joke. Hey, <laughs> that's true. Well, but if if you if you I don't know may if you, he tries because he has the kind of playground mentality bully like it. ha ha poke poke but when he gets poked back he likes it he must he must like it because he's always tweeting about or saying something in a rally about me in a very derogatory way because he's always accidentally watching this guy is the most devoted accidental viewer I've ever had at you and SNL yeah that well that I understand why he would because they're actually doing him but for him to like take umbrage at some of the things and uh, he, th- you're not going to beat him by being a bigger dick. I no, mean, you, he, he's got that space very much marked off. And also, it's like, it's almost refreshing, even though I don't agree usually with what he's saying. Like, to watch a guy, this is what people love about him, to watch a guy, you just expect a politician to, like, say the political thing. And this guy is like, fuck it. I, and there is something like... He farts in the punch bowl. <laughs> Well, he, he like shithole countries, as if we all haven't said that, as if we all haven't thought that, as if the, all the people who came from shithole countries, if they weren't offended because they were like, fuck right, I'm from a shithole country. Why do you think I came There's here? A reason Why I do you think I risked getting in a fucking, uh, you know, rubber raft or whatever? Uh, that's why. There's and a reason I left. So like shit like that, I understand people are like, yeah. He talks like a person. He doesn't lie and use you. And then other th- things are just obviously abhorrent, but he's, he's all id. Yes, exactly. Right, there's no superego, as I learned it from Freudian whenever I took. Right. Superego, ego, id. Yeah, it's all, it's all from the, All you know, id. I've known actors. The lizard brain. I've known actors like that. For sure. <laughs> well, he is, yes. at, at the core, he's an actor. He's a bad actor. You can um, see that. You can well, see you the can work. Say, you could say he's, it's it's so funny. He's the you old, can see the work. He's, That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they say? And I, oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. You can see the work. No, he gets he gets results. Well, you could, you not, said about his CNN thing. He got laughs. Oh, he had he. They loved him. He he worked the crowd. He, and, he worked the room. Yes, I, but and, I say this about your show oh, a lot because I sometimes oh. wish that you would do your show, not in front of an audience, because I think it would. You would have a more uh, in-depth discussion. Well, of course you would never do that. You're a comic. Exactly. You need the audience. And and you love the audience. And it's for the audience in many ways. I love the audience now. I didn't always. I I mean, the the audience changed about, I don't know, three. definitely the pandemic had something to do with it. We, like, had to... uh, like get rid of half the crowd because of social distancing during the forever flu. (gasps) Oh, my God. So... Did um, you get it? Of course. I got it only... All right. I don't Which wanna, one did you I don't, don't want to get into it. You're talking about the vaccine or the flu? The flu. The, you mean the COVID? Thing. I was fine until I got the vaccine, and then I got the vaccine, and then I got it like a month later. I don't want to start the whole thing. I understand the vaccine was very necessary. and, and I'm million, not trying to put you on the spot. Millions of people would be dead without the vaccine. True. I'm not one of those, so I shouldn't have been forced to take it. And after I had the vaccine, I think it added absolutely had everything to do with me then 
getting it. It also very well could have been why it was a super mild thing where I barely noticed I had it. Both things could, again, both things could be true. If we could have, let's, if we're running for president tomorrow. Right. You can be president. I'll, I'll be see, vice president. And, and by the way, this You'll is why I... Me. I, I <laughs> 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 we'll flip a coin. Whatever. But, but this that's is why both I, things can be true. How good a slogan is, is that? You know who I always love? Hang on. I love Midwestern people because they don't have, I don't know, there's just something about them that's commonsensical. And this is what Trump's biggest Trump card is. It's like, here's what conservatives always say to me about him. What you don't get is we don't like him either. They don't like him, although they do in a way, but they... They feel like he's the thing that stands between them and this other thing where we've lost our mind, where men are having babies. <laughs> and, and I, I don't... And if I, you have I, mean, a ba- I, and if I you, get it. I know. But I'm just saying, that's his appeal. And that's what somebody needs to go on CNN and, and just be there on the panel to add that uh, note to the discussion. I mean, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's always been fascinating to me when... Whenever that happens, it's, it's MSNBC, what have you. It's, it's the same thing on Fox. I mean, watching Fox during the whole course of the uh, run-up to the uh, indictment was like, oh, watching Tucker Carlson, and you're like, this guy. You've, wa- you've actually watched it? Yeah. I've I never mean, been able to watch it. It's rough. Even because, when I'm because on you, it. again, you can see <clears throat> the work. It's, this right. is, it's what John, John Stewart yeah. did so great. Where he was <clears throat> like, this is theater. You're, you're doing a bit right now. Yeah. And he's like, how dare you? I'm this, that. He goes, well, explain to me. You're wearing a bow tie. Right. <laughs> how yeah. is that not a costume? Right. Which, of course, it was. And, and I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. telling that that guy got what he got and how he got got was uh, interesting. And I don't think the, it's all come out yet about that. Isn't it amazing what they found in his text? I mean, like, I think that's why they paid almost a billion dollars so they didn't get into anybody else's texts. They were like, let's shut this down now. Well, they, that I, what I read was the reason why they uh, paid off is because there was ones that hadn't come out, and one of them said something that was, was, of course, there is still a lot, as you point out, of real racism in this country. And he, there was the phrase, uh, that's not how a white man fights. Now, see, there you go. There's some racism. I'm happy to, like... From a guy who get, lives in get, Maine. Get out in the streets for you. What? From a guy who lives in Maine. Right. For, but for the stuff that is, and there it is. And there um, it is. And by the way, Kennedy, that was the greatest political sacrifice any politician ever made. He, tur- he took the Democratic Party, and the, de- the South used to be called the Solid South, meaning Solid Democratic South. And within two elections, it was the solid Republican yeah, South. It was red. Talk for... about a political sacrifice. He took, but he did that because well, he sent troops to make sure that black kids could go to LBJ school. And LBJ doubled down, and he made and sure LBJ that the finished civil the job yes. passed. Yeah, and that's when the Democrats lost the rednecks. <laughs> True, and they wound up in a party that. Like, but now again, here we are, fifty years later, fifty plus years later, and. George is purple, blue. Yes, exactly. South Carolina might be coming soon. Right. Like the, talk about incremental change. By the way, when I, again, 
anecdotal, but I do travel a lot. When I travel to a lot of these southern cities, I feel like back in the day when I did, everybody talked like that. <laughs> it was like, you know, the deliverance kid, for fuck's sake. No, not that's but, but it was like southern. And like now, they don't even have accents in Raleigh and Dallas and Austin. You know why? And Houston. Because they have international companies Yes. Employing them. And because lots of people like to live in a place that isn't so fucking uptight. When you go to Atlanta, for example, I shot five movies in a row in Atlanta. Wow. Atlanta has the world, whatever, United States headquarters of Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, mm. Delta, oh. Coca-Cola, right. Pfizer, wow. I believe, uh, and like two other like huge multinational corporations. Wow. And then... Georgia Tech University, Emory University, right. Georgia State University, all within the Atlanta, and, Fulton County. And kind of the black capital of America. Black now. capital of America. I mean, for Chicago sure. certainly but gets like, to be in the. Discussion. Oh, and you go out to dinner in Atlanta, and there's world class food, there's great right. restaurants, there's fun bars, there's beautiful uh, music and art museums and the whole thing. And it's, it's not like in New York or LA. It's actually like black people and white people go to the same places. That's what I'm saying is like, I just let's live in the year we're living in because I'm seeing that too. And the reason is so, because they all have great jobs and they all have great money. And because we're just further down the road, there's been more, I mean, much more interracial marriage. You know, it's very hard to like, uh, you know, be fully on one side of it when Mom and dad are of different races. You know, you kind of have to. I mean, that's why Obama. I think the thing was I'm taking such, away from this, the <clears throat> greatest part of this whole interview is like, let's live in the year we're living in and not be wistful for this <laughs> mystical <laughs> fucking neverland of, of, of a time that didn't exist. As if anything about this resembles an interview. <laughs> My conversation, I would get asked all the time oh, about uh, Mad Men saying like, don't you wish, man, don't you wish? And I go... I'm a fan of painless dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the scene in Mad Men where Don gets his tooth pulled, but it was rough. And like, I just don't, I, I'm like, no, it's better now. No, I don't. And I watched that show devotedly. It was a very brief. Oh, scene. that you know what that tells me? I forget to do plugs. So I'm going to do my plug the and then I'm, then you're going to do yours. Okay. <laughs> otherwise, Mine are you know. down. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of us needs aid. June 16th and Saturday. Oh, I'm in Vegas. We got to go to Vegas together sometime. Love to. Really? Yes. I love Vegas. Oh, perfect. But not in the way that people love Vegas. I love Vegas because there's something about Vegas that is like unapologetically Vegas. Of course, that's what we love about There's it. gold on every surface, there's and, sparkly things. And, and, it's, and it's politically incorrect and proud of it, or as proud as you can be these days. Yes, I mean, and it's for adults. It's for it's, adults. You know, they tried in like the early- Yeah, remember that? That was a bad fit. <laughs> like Disney in the desert, it's like, no it isn't. <laughs> exactly. There's no spearmint they, rhino at they, Disney. <laughs> Ever. Exactly. They were, they, exactly. It was a massive failure. You're doing the bit for me. Yes. I, that's exactly what I, what year was that? Like 95? I feel like, yeah, they really tried like to, they, like, it was a, a family minute, destination. It was like classic coke. And then it literally was like, <laughs> like new three years later, it's like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So you're exactly. like, oh, right. That's what it that's is. That's what we meant. <laughs> right. 
Um, and it ain't your kids. No. And of course, Vegas was probably the best when it was run by the mob. I mean, I'm I think sure Vegas that's... was better when it was a little smaller. It feels like it's too. Yes. Big. Yeah. Oh, and it's. I mean, there's. You know what's great about it though is that the audiences are so hip, which is so ironic. I never thought I'd say that because when I first played Vegas as an opening act for people Where'd like Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, like the Sands, Diana Ross. Yes, I was at the Sands, my friend. Wow. Yeah, I was at Caesar's Palace with Diana Ross. Um, this was like my big feather in my cap, uh, you know, credits when I was coming for up sure. in the 80s. Okay, but I was an opening act. It was horrible. Anyway, the town was not hip. At least the crowds that came out weren't. Now, they're so hip because there's so many people in Vegas at any one time that, yes, 90% of them are hicks who want to go see fucking dolphins or magic or shit, but there's 10% is still like a lot of people. Yeah. So I can do a great... Yeah business in Vegas. We're only June 16th and 17th. Not only you can do business there, the the whole, it serves serves the whole swath of entertainment. It's But fuck the others. I'm there at the MGM Grand, June 16th. (laughs) Thank you, Ed. June 16th and 17th. Yes. (laughs) June 16th. A wise one. <laughs> Phil Hartman. You're doing Phil Hartman. I'm doing Phil yeah. doing it. I do Phil Hartman's Ed McMahon also. <laughs> when a guy does the best one, you just got to do his. Well, We're not impressionists. I, when I, when I, look, when I, do, when I do Johnny, I do Dana Carvey's Johnny when he does it. That's Dana funny. I do, I do Rich Little. Well, Rich Johnny. Little. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that is more Dana. Dana. Okay, and Club Random. Weird vi- stuff. Club Random's... Vi- <laughs> <laughs> what, what, that, that is weird. Weird, wild weird. stuff. <laughs> oh, wise one. <laughs> okay, Clever Hand and Video is now also being featured on Spotify. I'm sure I didn't know was... Spotify had a video component. Exactly. Now we do. Because it's that fucking select, and we made the cut. Thank you, Spotify. So, um, your plug, see, I'm not completely gone is your new movie with Tina Fey and... <laughs> Myself. <laughs> Tell me about Directed it. by John Slatter. It's called Maggie Moore. Oh, yes, John Slatter, your, your boy from Mad Men. Yes, Roger Sterling I and I I feel good about that together. when you see that people stayed friends. So John directed this wonderful film called <laughs> Maggie Moore's, with the plural, and it's a, it's a murder mystery about two women who get killed who have the same name, and it's like unraveling the weirdness. It's got... Funny elements, it's very dark comedy. Tina Fey and myself get wound up in this uh, murder situation. And that will be debuting at the Tribeca Film Festival early June. I want to say June 12th. And then in the fall, uh, Fargo season five. Oh, you're doing Fargo? We'll be coming out. Oh, that's awesome. As well as uh, the morning show season three. So I have... um, I have a couple of uh, Gee, look at screens you. that I will be uh, be on, and um, uh, yes, making prestige television and, and independent film to please the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you do it so well. You've really endured. You know, how long ago was when did Mad Men first go on the air? Two thousand six or seven. Oh, so you're you're like your twentieth anniversary, Close. almost, of being famous. Wow. Yeah. And I'm well, just finally getting a handle on it. I wouldn't say that. I think you've done very well. What did you do? What did you, what did you get out of a limousine and show your pussy? No, I don't remember any of that. Not yet. No, <laughs> no I mean, what did you ever do that was so terrible? Nothing. Nothing. But my so point you, is simply so, that, you know, I see, see friends of mine that go through the same, you know, kind of, 
you shoot on the rocket to the moon, and there's, there's understandably, there is a, you know, kind of, you're weightless for a second. So you have to kind of figure right. out how to, yeah, how to manage it. And it it's, did fine. And there's no rule book. But you know what? When it happened, the thing, I, you're talking like you, you fucking, uh, you know, fucked a monkey or something. No, uh, I don't you, mean you, that. You, I'm just I mean, saying, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not particularly saying I no, did anything wrong I either. You, but see, the thing is, when it happened to you, you weren't a kid. Yes. That's why it worked fine for you, because you were already, like, not I a nudnik. don't understand how... No, uh, tough, right? No. When you're young? I don't get it. I don't right. get how they do it. I, I, the only person that I've known or worked with that was famous from a very, like, famous, famous from a very young age is Dan Radcliffe, and he has two great parents. And he went through his version of of bananas, whatever, but he came out of it great, and he's got a kid now, and he's in a great, he's doing great. And I loved working with him. He's a wonderful actor. But I was like, that is a, at 13, right. to be Harry Potter right. on this planet right. sure. is a lot. Right. And, I, and I loved working with him, and I, I still consider him a great friend, and he's, he's doing great. And, and sim, similar thing, he's in his, I think he's 30-something now. However, I will trade that for my experience when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I will totally trade that. Me too. For masturbation and getting beat up, you know? Or, but, you know, kickball and, and yeah. having fun. Like, I, I mean, I, I, there's I, something about actually having a childhood that you can be a kid in. But my sympathy for people who have exceptional childhoods that are actually in many ways better than my shitty, fucking anxious, ridden childhood, I, I have limited sympathy. I just do because, you know what, was it really? Yes, there were parts of it that were bad, but is it really worse to be Harry Potter when you're 13, I feel like that you're very lucky. Oh, yeah. I think he uh, would say that, too. Right. Right. And, um, you know, he's certainly not... I, I don't remember any scandal about him. It's, he's not one of those kid, kid actors from sitcoms who you find blowing bumps, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> there was some plague with child actors for a while. There was a there? while where, yeah, right. there was and some stuff. Because they probably were abused in a certain yes. way. I think that that was, that was almost systemic right. at a certain point. But, um, yeah, again, if we talk about living in the world that we live in now, I think that it, having the ability to understand, like, how trauma affects your life and how you can actually manage it and deal with it and actually get help and, and come through it, it's not a scarlet letter that you right. have to bear for your entire <laughs> life you can actually go like yeah that happened and it sucked and i worked on it right. and I'm now i'm better you talk about it in a certain way and i think you're right i think your idea of just like you know what manage it and then go right. on with your day and find out find what it is that makes you happy and 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 pursue that and yours is stand up and you've done it for i watched you on you yeah. know what a Danger Fields or something on the on the, in the eighties on HBO when I couldn't have, when I had to my, steal HBO from my right. No, my first time on TV was uh, Evening at the Improv. It was one of those shows in the early eighties <clears throat> where stand up, you know, it was a kind of a new thing. All these young comedians. There yeah. used to be like one new comedian a year, and then there was like a million. So they just basically shot the brick wall at the comedy club. They, they, there was a number of those shows. We called them brick wall shows. Yep. And that was the first time I came out here in October of 81. I remember the Evening little suit the that I wore. Yeah, and, of course. You know, just, um, 
And then there was a big discussion about whether if I did the jokes on that show, I could then do them on The Tonight Show because The Tonight Show was very rigorous about you do your material, material. on us first. Right. Then you can do Merv Griffin. There were a lot of rules with the stand-up. Well, because there were like four shows. Yeah. Two. Yes, there was other shows, right. And you were... You had and to, The Tonight was Show a, was the pinnacle. Yeah, that was the chain. The Tonight Show and then Merv. Everything else. Merv, you know. <laughs> Who was the other one? Dinah Shore. That was before my time. Dinah Shore. I remember, Davidson. man. You watched some of those um, shows. Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas. I like Mike. Um, Tom Snyder I used to do, but that wasn't... That was late night. Yeah, that was late night. The daytime was, shows were... I remember, God, part of this was why I really wanted to come to California because I remember seeing not only the the daytime talk shows, Merv Griffin, Merv. who had such a well, he was like, on it, mellifluous night. tone to his. Yeah, talk like this. Say, how you doing? That's oh, the line. Rick, Rick Moranis. I was say, I'm doing Rick great, Moranis. Great Merv stuff. Griffin. Oh, let me see that lining. <laughs> but it was a free for all on those shows. Uh, if anybody's watching, Google Robert Morse Merv Griffin, and just see what happened on the on the uh, on what, the Merv Griffin. What show. happened? It is chaos. Bobby Robert is, Morris. Oh yeah, from was, your show. Yes, and it's amazing. He's probably thirty. Right. He was three. probably he was probably on Broadway in the show. I think he might have been. He for that which was his, he was ironically cast famous, in your show. Famously uh, famous for that, and they the brought him on the show. The show came being, out. Uh, how to succeed in business this without really trying, and uh, or maybe the movie had come out, and that was what he was. People probably for. will remember the song that he, the lead, sings to the mirror. I believe in you, which it's a was great song, and and great spirit of the song because it was so of a time that we have so lost. You're talking about optimism and to singing in the mirror. I believe in you. And there's no there's no shortness of irony in that song either. Like that's it's very funny that he's doing that cuz he's trying to pump himself up, which we all are doing every day. Every aren't day, we? baby. <laughs> well, can you get can I get the number of your therapist? <laughs> <laughs> I that that and game shows made me want to move to LA. Cuz I was like, man, game shows. There's some fun shit happening during the day at CBS <laughs> Television City. <laughs> In the day, you're right. There's something about They're doing... going to Dupar's, having a little breakfast, then rolling over to where you should shoot your show, CBS Television City and and they are there's something about doing bad stuff in the day that makes it even better. I mean, I know people think I'm a giant pothead. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it's because you say it all the time. <laughs> and when they see me, I'm... But I'm not. I don't smoke that often. I smoke here. I smoke in special occasions. And, but whenever I... And so I, I've not most of my life been high in the day at all. But on those rare occasions when I do get high in the day, it's great. <laughs> You know, maybe it's because I'm more awake or something, but I think there's something about, ooh. You're saying it makes you woke? We're do- <laughs> a little too woke. We're doing like adulty, nighttime, sexy things, but we're doing it in the day. I feel like it's like vacation. It's like when you're the on movie? vacation. No. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. It's like, when you're, it's like being on vacation. Like when you're sitting by the pool and you're eating a pizza and you're having a drink <laughs> yeah. and it's... Two thirty, right? And you're like, "Well, it's, I don't have anything else to do." You just feel good about yourself. Yes, you just do. I know. Could you be just, worse. You've, right? 
you feel like I made it, <laughs> or at least I made it enough to like. I made it here. Take <laughs> <laughs> to this right. lounge chair. But I, I think you have handled the whole like celebrity thing as well as it can be done. First of all, you're I see you on so many commercials. Okay, you know you're both like <clears throat> not unhip at all, super hip, but also. Like enough to, like very often the sacrifice for being hip is like, you know, like a commercial would never go near me. I'm way too toxic to God knows what I'll say tomorrow. <laughs> you know, right. they don't want to be like, hey, I'm <laughs> Bill Marford Del Monte. And then you know, yeah. I say something. Okay. We're but, stuck with a warehouse of right. tin peaches. <laughs> <laughs> tin peaches. Okay. So, um and heavy but syrup. You, but you, you, uh, <laughs> that's so funny. That's an all the family joke. It's a deep cut, but, uh, uh oh, I was going to say, who are your writers? Uh, I guess Norman Lear. Norman Lear. <laughs> yeah. Um, start at the still, top. still going strong at 101. 101, man. That gives you hope, right? He gives me hope. There was a guy that was, yeah. that was doing it in a way that he didn't have to do it in the 70s. Making shows about underrepresented people, making shows. Right. And making them funny. Right. It wasn't homework to watch Good Times. Not at all. It wasn't homework to oh. watch. Um, exactly. That's such an important point. For me, also, like, like um, one day at a time, I was, I was raised by a single mom. Like, that was such a huge show for me. Like, I, I also loved, uh, don't get me wrong, I also loved uh, Three's Company. But, like, one day at a time was like, Bonnie yeah. Franklin getting it done as a single mom. I was like, that's my mom. Like, right. that's amazing. Like, oh my. They but can... your thing about like weaving the comedy seamlessly in so that it wasn't messagey, that's something that they seem to have lost the skill to do in movies. I remember doing bits about, I think it was the Oscars of like a year ago when it was Nomad Land and like all these just downer, you know, shitting in a bucket movies <laughs> that nobody saw. <laughs> that nobody saw because they weren't, they had known how to in the past make movies that were about something but also make them entertaining chinatown is about something but yeah. it's also a story and a plot and so it's three days of the condor and what was the one about three mile island uh, the china syndrome china syndrome yeah i mean all the they, they've done it a million times but they just seem to like only want a virtue signal and they forgot how to be entertaining do you remember a little movie called um Am I really going to forget it? Uh, 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 Dog Day Afternoon? Of course. Al Pacino. Do you remember what the big reveal is in the third act of that movie? That his boyfriend his, right, wants his boyfriend. to get a sex change operation. Right, right. I remember boyfriend, yes. John Chris Sa Sarandon. It plays, uh, plays the no, boyfriend. John Sarandon. John Cazal is his partner that they're shooting up the bank Okay, with. right. His boyfriend is Chris Sarandon, and they, he wants to get a thing. And right. It's like, you're like... Talk about burying the lead. Like, talk about a, being ahead of your time. Way out of your time. Like, You're what right. I forgot film. about. And I, I watch that film. It's uh, it's riveting. And then all of a sudden, right. in the third act, here comes like a wild wow. left turn. And it's, it's still great. But you could, it wasn't about that. It just happened to be right. engaging right. with that. Right. In and a way that preaching about it. Yeah. And Charles is, Durning is like, what's that? What? <laughs> Charles Durning is in it? He's the cop that uh, has to handle the. I've, it's a great film. It's one of my favorite films. I was just watching Shampoo again. Talk about a great film. One of the greatest lines in cinema. What? Which is? Jack Warden walking by the thing where Warren Beatty's fucking Julie Christie and he looks in the window and he goes, now that's what I call fucking. 
<laughs> I even got doesn't the, realize that that's uh, Warren Beatty fucking his own girlfriend, oh, but that's his when the mistress. Mistress, yes, yeah, sorry. And the the door sort of slides right. open and he's it's illuminated. But Jack Warden had a great career. Jack Warden, I feel like a lot of his career was tied to Warren Beatty. Yeah, well, uh, having can wait. We played the football Heaven coach. Can wait, yes. Uh, but yeah, what a great. Yeah, so hopefully I mean, that's going to be I'm my not third. Gonna act. Lie. It's it's, Jack Warden it's, uh, thing. <laughs> it's better to be John Ham, <laughs> the John Hams of the world, than the Jack Wardens. I mean, Jack Warden. It's a nice a job, but it is. A, but it, it's a little like the upholstery business in the amount of like excitement it actually. Fair enough. Yeah, and, and that's you know, but that's you just you know. Uh, you had a good combination of, you know, being born attractive and then, you know, smart. That's, you know, a big edge in show business. A lot of the, uh, I'm sorry to say it, but a lot of actors are not that bright. So there's a reason to apologize. That that's just an observation that tends to be true because right. you're not rewarded for it necessarily. But it does come across, and so it's great if you can be a leading man and they can sense that you have a brain in your head because it's not always been a prerequisite. No, but like, and like you mentioned Humphrey Bogart. I mean, like, there was just something about him that, but it was this authenticity. That's what I mean. That's something that is very attractive on screen, especially. And you can't I think quite there's something that I think. Look, if you look at Harrison, Harrison Ford's probably the best example, right? He's he's been a movie star for six decades, really? probably right, seventies, eighties, nineties. Oh dun, my dun, god! Dun. So, yeah, it's. There's something that people see in Harrison Ford that they can relate to. Yeah, he's Spencer Tracy type. Exactly. He's, he's he looks not, like their dad, your uncle, your, your cousin that right. you like, your brother that you like. All of it has positive resonance, and that is great in a movie star. Tom Cruise is a different way. Tom Cruise yes. looks like the guy right. who is the captain of the football team, times the president, times the <laughs> Neil Armstrong. <laughs> times all the other stuff and, that, and there's something about that too which is great and, i agree and and you want both of those guys so, in the world did he personally call you to be in top gun no but i remember because when i I'm when sure. i said yes to it i got a call very soon after that saying i can't wait to make this movie with you but i'm and i was like i have like three scenes in this movie but he still reached out and said you know i can't wait to do it well there were three good ones um, I agree. Don't get me wrong. No, I loved every minute of it. But also, I'm just thinking Tom Cruise is not the kind of guy who doesn't, like, I think, look after every detail in a movie. So for, for you, uh, he must have wanted you there. I yes. mean, maybe he, maybe it wasn't his first There is idea. No, nothing on set that Tom doesn't want there. Exactly. So it, and, it is, and, it is, and it is what he does so it, well. It is. It, he is a. He curates no, an, an experience that is. And, and and for as long as he has, it almost makes you think there's something to Scientology. <laughs> there isn't, but it almost. It's one of those things that leads you down a path. It, listen, um, it works for no, him. No, he is. He is a genre, as they would say in Paris. Yeah, he is one of a kind. He just. Um, yeah, I mean, and and the, and the experience was. I mean, I can only say as it was as advertised. You you just. Yeah. You saw it in person. You knew it was going to be magnified on the screen. And everything about that experience was, and I watched him, because I, you know, I had my part to play. I wasn't like, I was, wasn't producing the film. I wasn't, had nothing to do other than show up, 
know my lines, look good in the suit, make sure you know I wasn't <laughs> yeah. you know letting it slip. No, it's not running down exactly. your exactly. <laughs> but I watched how he how he how he took care of all the younger actors and was like very aware that a lot of them it right. was, was their maybe their first movie, but first, certainly their first sure. major motion picture. Right. And I was like, man. I've definitely seen the other version of that where it's like, fuck you, right. figure it out, no, or no. I'll do something that'll kind of take yeah. your legs out of you. And he was not that he's, guy. He's a, he, it's, it's funny. I don't know if all Scientologists are like that, but he is a lot like the Mormons, which makes sense because they're both recent religions, right. which is unforgivable to be recently a religion, <laughs> but okay. But in the sense that Mormons, like when you read about it and all the things they believe and you're like, I can't believe you people, really. And then you meet them in person, and they're just the nicest people Delightful. in the world. <laughs> and those are the kind of paradoxes that people in this country politically have to keep in mind, that even a Trump voter cannot be a hard... It, it doesn't make them a monster automatically. It no. could, and they're wrong about a lot of things. There's monsters on both sides. There really are. And also... They just, it's just, a, it's just a big country with lots of people who don't see it's the world. What Lauren Michaels used to say about SNL, he goes, you know, we're on in all 50 states. <laughs> now, is that Dana Carvey's? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a lot. I think it is. It might be Dana's. It's Dana. I've been listening to a lot of their podcasts recently, but uh, it's it's true. And And he has, as a Canadian even, he has a sense of... We are appealing to a wide swath. Absolutely, very broad. And we are all part of the community, and this is something that we all have to pay attention to. And it's it's very true, and I think this is another thing, another strike against the social media of it all. But when you when you're forced to actually interact with people on a face to face basis, and you talk to them, and you and you breathe the same air, and you're in the same space, you get a very different experience than you do when you're typing on a screen about very somebody. different or when you're yelling at a camera about somebody yes and it is and it is wildly different wow. i remember learning that lesson when i was a teenager and i went on my class trip to washington dc when i was 16 years old mm -hmm. and i met our senior senator from missouri there john danforth right i remember him and i was like this guy he wants he's gonna take away the blah 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 and then i met him i was like the greatest guy i've ever met like are you kidding me oh that oh, guy's like that happened. classy and like has smart and funny he's got a great story he's right got a great office it smells good and humble Probably he was humble but well because he's from old money missouri like he's got a he's got a little blue blood sense to him but even that was like God, what? Well, what, humble. What a carriage. He was 6'4, he had a deep voice. He looked like what I thought, you know, humble a in senator the sense, would look Humble like. in the sense, hopefully, that he could laugh at himself. And in person, they all do. Right. Because they all know that it's, they're ridiculously lucky. <laughs> you think Matt, I mean, I don't know if Matt Gates laughs at himself, but I bet he does. He's like, well, look what I'm getting away with. I'll do it for him. Um,. <laughs> So that's so interesting. So what, what were you like in high school? Were you like, you said you were 16 and on this class trip, were you like well, it was part of it was Well, part of it was a theater trip because we went to New York and D.C. and we saw a play at the arena stage in D.C., some Shakespeare thing. But were you we popular saw. by then? Yeah. You were? Yeah. And what I was Because I, I was engaged with all parts of school. I was smart because I liked class. I liked participating right. in class. Learning. I was also athletic. I love doing that. And my school that I went to, you were encouraged to do the arts, whether it was painting or sculpture mm. or singing or playing an instrument or theater. So you did drama? I did theater. Wow. I tried painting and I was bad at it. I was like, they were like, okay, if you're bad at it, you don't have to do it, but try. And I tried. And then I did 
did theater, and I was like, well, this I actually like. This is kind of fun. And I got feedback that right. I did. I did I, not. It's interesting. You did all those things. I did none of those things. So, <laughs> so you were this good-looking job. You find your way. Uh, gay. <laughs> uh, no, but you were into theater. And uh, what was the? Uh, well, yeah, that's a lot. I could see why you were popular. I. I but I had a lot of friends that did the same thing. Like the, the our our theater teacher was was wildly smart. He's like, get the jocks in, you guys. It's fun. It's it's not it, it, there's well, there's no stigma to it. There wasn't the you know the Ferris Bueller. Well, there's the dorks, the dweebs, the burnouts, the this is the that's. We were all just kind of in the same you know melting pot at the school, and that was what it what it really did. Um, shout out to John Burroughs School. It, it's it was based on John Burroughs, famous naturalist from 19th century, and Thomas Dewey, which was art as experience. Like you wow. must experience things to understand. Maybe you won't like them. Well, that's not very rednecky for Missouri, right? A lot of, there's a lot of uh, Missouri. Exactly. There's a lot of everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's really almost unpredictable, almost a fool's errand to try to predict how people will be in certain places. I mean, you could, oh, we're going to the Redneck Riviera. I'm sure they're going to be. And sometimes they are. And sometimes they're not. Yeah. And, and it's part of, it's, the, it's, I think, the best lesson, which is just be present, take it in, I think the thing, once again, what I'm taking away with this is like live in the moment that you're in. Live in the year yes. that we're in because it's it's not, it's going to change. Well, I mean, your life's going to change. When are you getting married? Uh, in about a month. In about a month. Whoa. So when's the big bachelor party night that we all go to at the... <laughs> well, it's going to be here. Right? It's going to be here at the Platinum Lady <laughs> coming to this stage. Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you going to have a bachelor party? I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not planning on one. I don't. That know. best friend of yours is still your best friend from. He's back coming in. He's he flying better in. fucking he's, do it. He's coming in from Australia. Uh, He'll be staying with me. But uh, yeah, okay. I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll go. To oh, he's Australian. He's uh, American. He moved to Australia. Oh, I see. Got priced out of uh, living in America. So will it be a destination wedding? It's uh It's right at the coast. <laughs> it's, it's not too far. It's drivable. <laughs> Your invitation should be in the uh, in your inbox. <laughs> no, listen, I really uh, weddings freak me out. I mean, I I mean, just it doesn't. It must scare you a little the idea of, especially a guy like you and the the chicks must still throw the. It doesn't at scare me. It. In fact, I'm like I'm excited about it. I'm very. Uh, yeah, I could tell you are. I am. It's uh It's I. I was listening to you mentioned Dana Carvey. I was listening to his podcast with uh, Spade uh, and our mutual friend Sarah Silverman was on. Yeah. On and um. She's talking about being in a place in her life where she absolutely is comfortable in her relationship and she happens to be dating whatever they're doing, living with this person right. and sharing her life with this person who I think we both might know, but I know him really well. And she's like, I'm just comfortable. And that's the way I feel. I'm feel comfortable. There's worse things. No, no. <laughs> no, no I've been uncomfortable. Say. It's not great. Yeah. This is not that. I think we're born in a state of being uncomfortable. It's hard to get out that opening. It's, life is a constant struggle to retard the progression of being uncomfortable. Certainly, uh, you know, physically, you have to take care of yourself a lot more. I mean, John, I've, I've been with you at times 10 years ago or so when we both were just drinking all night long. Like, now we're drinking in a circumspect way. Yes, right. for sure. <laughs> right. 
But that's, that that's, is, okay, that's but that a is radical a, shift. Well, it's a concession to reality. Yes. It's a concession. I, I, I go to the gym. I never went to the gym. Really? You never went to the I gym? I mean, when I was a, in high school, I did because I was an athlete. But like, then I was like, I'm in good shape. I'm fine. I'll, I'll yeah, work yeah, and I play sports. Like, now I'm like, I go to the gym because it makes me feel good. Yeah. Why I'm not I, going to the gym to like turn into some no. Marvel person. I'm like going to the gym because it actually makes me feel good. Well, the same way I go to therapy. Right. You don't it's do physical you don't, therapy. You don't do any, uh, you've never been a, a spandex character, have you? No, I have not. Not on purpose. I would. I would consider it. It's just really? never been offered to me. Really? I, I. I. would think you would be a perfect candidate. They had other guys to, fill the fill the suit. To, <laughs> to be. Uh, what superpower would make? See, I think you're just doing. They see that you would. You know what the problem with you? You're too smart to do the movie, and you would be like. I they, think you there's... wouldn't be able to keep a straight face <laughs> if you if your superpower was like you know I'm... your erection could <laughs> could knock uh, down the bend steel. Tall buildings in a single bound. Uh, I don't know. I think that there's no there. There's been a lot of advances in the superhero genre. I think that they're finding great ways to tell that story, those stories. And I think I was watching Taika Waititi talk. Do you know Taika? Have you ever met Taika? Has he been on your show? Who? Taika Waititi. He did Jojo oh, Rabbit. That was great. Yes, great. That, ain't, that is about as far away from a spandex movie as I can True. imagine. But he also directed Hitler into a. He also directed <laughs> Thor. Um, oh, the last couple Thors. And so he has a very interesting take on it. And he's like, you know, it's like superhero stories are just stories. And they're stories with this mythical character in the middle of them, this mythical character that has all the powers in the world and all of these amazing things and can't die. And it's like, it's kind of like religion, isn't it? Right. He goes, maybe in 150 years, Iron Man is going to be somebody that they write books about and they're going to pray right. to the thing of Iron Man and that Thor. That happens and all the time. So here we are. I mean... Did you ever see Change of Habit, the Elvis movie? No. Okay. You Is it about nuns? Yes. Okay. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? Okay. I'm, I mean, it's ringing a bell. This, this, is a, this is a treat. Oh, no, because you're a, What year you were born? 71. Okay. This is before you were born. 1960. For sure. Elvis was not a movie star when I was born. Right. He six, died when okay. six. Right. 77. Yes. Right. Okay. So uh, this is 1969. So he's been... You know, he emerged in 56. That's when he was, that's the year I was born. Okay. Like, same month. I was born, Heartbreak Hotel. Okay. Then he went into the Army in 60. So that's like, he had a very brief period where right. he was like super. Right. Uh, and then and then shut it down for, it's well, like uh, Ted it, Williams. He gets out, <laughs> well, no, but he gets out of the service. And for the whole next decade, the colonel puts him in these stupid movies. movies. He did like 29 of them. Clam bake, yeah. clam bake, <laughs> fun in Acapulco. Yeah. You know, yeah. he called them travelogues. They were, but they made. Put Elvis in a different place and make, yeah. it was like James and Bond. It's without the, without it the stuff. hardly James Bond. But I mean, it's in a different. <laughs> right. So in 1969, Elvis finally put his foot down or something happened and he gets out of the movie contract. And this is the last movie. And he go, this is when he went back to performing and actually did great. That's, the, to me, the greatest period of his recording is Suspicious Minds. Well, was 68 was the comeback, right? 68 is the comeback, right. It's when he was like, oh, I'm going to put the on a leather, leather suit. The leather suit Exactly. And I'm going to do, this is what I should do. I shouldn't be doing clam bake. What the fuck was I thinking? I must be And something. then he killed Vegas for like five yeah, years, right? Yeah, because he, and toured until he, they dropped dead touring. But, um... So in 1969, 
it's the new Elvis, it's a new world, you know, this is the hippie generation. You're 13. I'm 13. Yes, this movie was very influential. I was like, that's not what I'm going to do in show business. Because, okay, so Elvis um, wants to, like, change his image, and he does the comeback special, and that's a big hit. So he gets this script called Change of Habit, where he's a ghetto doctor. This is a giant departure from okay. Deke Rivers, who'll be singing at the right, <laughs> right, exactly. So he's, he's got to win the race. What? Yeah, who has to win the race yeah. to get the thing? <laughs> exactly. And right, exactly. Speedboat yeah. Randy and I run on it. No, <laughs> that's yes. Okay, so so he's a he's, he's a, a ghetto yeah. doctor, yes. inner city doctors. Is where in the ghetto in the came get- from? Same same year. Okay. So it could Good have been, I don't know, but yes, the song in the ghetto. Like, suddenly Elvis wanted you to know he cares very much about the people in the ghetto. This fucking southern man, shall we say. I could see that being earnest, though. Right? It could be. It could be. I, I, it's, it feels like, yes, it could be. I don't feel like that was that was a, a, a play. I mean, he was born in Tupelo, Mississippi, in nineteen. So I feel like there's something obviously there. Like, yeah, oh, I understand no, no. this I know. thing. I, I understand. I think it's it's admirable that he wanted to reach out. This is also the great song he did at the end of the comeback special called "If I Can Dream." Oh my God, that performance too, and that song, about it. the the whole thing. You know, where all my brothers walk hand in hand. Again, and he kills not something it. Elvis seemed to care about for the first 36 years of his life. Hey, okay. you know what? He got there. If you think he got there, exactly. That's what we say to all people who, like, get woker. He got, you got there. there. We, don't, we don't hate you because you... There's no timeline. Ex- thank you. So, okay, so he's this ghetto doctor. And it turned, but it turned, I watched... It was it. called Bad Habits in the Habit? No, it's called cha- uh, Change of Habit. Change of Habit. So Mary Tyler Moore, and it's interesting because you see that the, these two people are at very different places in their career. Elvis wants to change his image from <laughs> clam bake to ghetto doctor. And Mary Tyler Moore is coming off the Dick Van Dyke show, but it's kind of fizzled. This is right before she gets her show Mary in Tyler 1970. Moore, right. So she takes this job opposite Elvis. Elvis. Joe business. People want to work. Or maybe she thought this is the greatest thing, but I don't think so. <laughs> so she's a nun. But there's this program. Okay, now this is really ringing a bell. Right? Okay. Okay, so there's this program where the nuns, <laughs> like three nuns, get to like shed their habit and go in street clothes and work at the clinic in the ghetto because okay. the church is trying to reach out. And Sure. So they show up. Elvis doesn't know they're nuns. And it's... <laughs> Didn't realize it until I watched it again. It's an abortion clinic. Ooh. And he thinks that they are three uptown girls, because he sees that all the time, sure. who come downtown to, to his get to ghetto clinic service. because they don't want to be seen by their sure. friends and family. And he literally says, like, uh, okay, well, oh, no, it's not all three of you, is it? Oh, no, it's not the same guy, is it? Oh, boy. <laughs> this is really a line in the movie. So... <clears throat> Uh, of course, Elvis and Mary Tyler Moore fall in love, but he doesn't know she's a nun. And then at the end, we find out, and then she's sitting in the church at the end. <clears throat> and Elvis, of course, even though he's a ghetto doctor, he's still saying, Sure, cool. Hey, come on. <laughs> so he's singing, you know, this is when the church was trying to be hip with the folk song. With the folk singing. So there he is at the, at the church singing about the Jesus. And she's, and there's a, you know, thing of Jesus, and the camera cuts back between her looking at Elvis and 
and this Jesus and Elvis, Jesus. And it's like, that's how the movie leaves you. Like, who could make this decision? I have to pick between Elvis, Elvis or, Jesus. or Jesus. Or why not? Hey, two things can be true. Why not both? Two things can be true. And um, it also, what was the point of that? Was that... Uh, she changed her habit. <laughs> no, that... And that was the beginning of Sister Act One. And then Whoopi Goldberg showed up. And you wouldn't believe it, but they started singing. But have you ever watched that uh, an Elvis movie, like any Elvis movie? Yeah, oh, oh. for sure. Because... Viva Las Vegas is like, you know... I mean, to get stoned or a little tipsy and watch an Elvis movie... They, they hold... They, they, I won't say they hold up. They're very much artifacts of their time. But he is ridiculously compelling as a performer. I Ridiculous. mean, I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's what about the undeniable? Early, the early ones where he's... Did you watch that thing on HBO, the two-part... Of course. Six-hour yeah. Elvis thing? I, was, I, watched, I watched every that Elvis thing. thing. I was transfixed by that. I thought it was just fantastic because it was so much old stuff that I hadn't seen. Yeah. And I think for my generation that didn't really have Elvis, we were, when we were talking at, with Mad Men, like Elvis was still like in the top 10 during the Mad Men era. And so was Frank Sinatra. Like the Beatles and all the 60s stuff didn't really hit till like right. the late 60s. Yes. Really. There were still, I mean, well, obviously they had hits, but... Elvis was still there, and Sinatra was still there. There was still Mad Men era, that yes. version of that. Well, the early series, the early. popular culture, it was still very much in in transition to what we think of as the '60s. Well, you, that show starts in '60. Yeah. Okay. Elvis was definitely that was, oh, the, that sure. was his first year out of the army. Um, he '62. Uh, he had a big hit with "Return to Sender." Address unknown. Address. <laughs> you know it. Yes. No such number, no such zone. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, for sure. Right. Uh, so, but then when, when the Beatles took over in 64, that was the British invasion, he was old news. That's why he was making those movies. Yes. He had the occasional hit. He had uh, one of the Hawaiian movies, uh, I think it was 65 or 6, um, uh, gave the world, wise men say. Only fools rush in. I mean, it's like. Only yeah, it's I can't a, help for that. That was a huge hit. That was what he show, he ended his concerts with. That was the closing, like, the summation of my whole career is, is this song. I can't help falling in love with you. I mean, there's a reason that song is endured, you know, and it's part, it's They played in Hawaii part of endlessly. His, <laughs> his magnetism, that, that 68 comeback special was really the, that was on live national television. And I think it got yeah. uh, up until like maybe a couple decades ago was like still in the top ten of like most watched. No, did television you ever see events. his the early movies he did where where they were not musicals like Flaming Star or Kid Kid uh, Kid Durango Kids. No, there was Kid Creole. Creole. Okay, but he's a he's a like you said compelling. He is a very he's not a polished actor, but it almost works for him. Um, well, the, he was. I mean, he was. Devastatingly handsome. Too. Devastatingly. Like, absolutely. Unbelievably yes. good looking. Unbelievably. And just had this. And by the way, not for nothing, I think that, that Austin Butler Great. nailed it I do in too. that Elvis movie. I had lots of problems with the movie, Me too. but not with the performance. Nope. Right. He was great. He was great. He was the right guy for that. And a lot of guys have played Elvis. I mean, Kurt Ru I remember seeing Kurt Russell do it like soon after Elvis died. That's how long ago. Really? Like maybe 1979, they did a TV movie. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a he's a he's a phenomenon. I think he has there there has not been another Elvis. No, you could I mean, maybe make the case for Michael Jackson. People would say that, but Mike, I mean, look, but he didn't have he didn't have uh, other than the obviously problematic stuff that came out later. <laughs> he never he was never never tried to be an actor. He was pure pop. You're talking about Michael? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was pure pop. Like he was just that was his it, that was him. Yeah. Elvis had a second gear. You talking about acting? Yeah. Yeah, Michael, I think, had dreams of being an actor. I think um, he wanted to... I mean, that just came along at a time when he started to fall apart as a person. You know, he just was so fragile. He just couldn't... I mean, talk about a candle in the wind. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he just... uh, Yeah, that was... But another undeniable talent. You just can't... uh, You cannot... Yeah, you don't know if it... Process it. Well... And you don't know if it could have the kind of longevity, but you know Paul McCartney is a pretty amazing talent and has a longevity that's pretty sparkling. As that was another like, fascinating thing to watch was that that documentary, the Get Out, uh, Get Get Out, Get Back. No, that Get Back was also when you look at what they were doing in those sessions and how fast they were working and how amazing what they did then oh. became. And then realize that they're all 26, 27 years old, and Harrison's 24. I know. And just the emotional intelligence that they're dealing with and the stuff that they're dealing with in real time. And like, and also just Ringo, how he's like the rock. Yeah. He's just the steadiest guy. Like, okay, right. what are we doing? This? Okay, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. It never misses a beat. No, never misses I mean, a thing. Puts his fur coat on. Peace out. I got to go shoot a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Peter Jackson was very smart to put the calendar as a framing device yeah. because you see, okay, they walk into the studio right after New Year's. It's January 2nd or 3rd. And by Did the you hear end- that speech that Martin Luther King gave? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, that was happening too? Right. You're right. Wow. Yes. That seems like a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot that. Okay, so... We see they're walking into the studio. Hi, Happy New Year. And by the end of the month, we need a whole new album. Uh, and so they have nothing, really. They're just kind of fumfering, and they have all these side disputes that are happening, and George walks out for a minute. They, uh, by the way, they throw him under the bus immediately. I love that. It shows that Lennon and McCartney, it was always about Lennon yeah. and McCartney, that group. They were never really fighting and everybody else was a little bit a third wheel. Um, also, by the way, also like he's playing songs and some of his songs on that record are the most beautiful songs. And then he, it's like the things he had in his pocket become All Things Must Pass. Like George? Yeah. yeah. One of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, but that, I just had these in my back pocket. Right. But the reason why he had so many songs in his back pocket is because Couldn't the other one. Couldn't Right. Yeah. So he kind of had. They were Octopus's Garden. They give Ringo one. They give right. George two. And then they'd have the rest. I think George may have had a hand in Octopus's Garden also. Mm. I mean, he likes to be under the sea. Who does? There's, there's, a, there's a cover of Ringo's big hit, It Don't Come Easy. Don't Come Easy. That George cut first because he wrote it. I think so, yeah. There's, oh, there's a lot of DNA, George Harrison and, DNA well, in that song. Well, in the original, there's the ch- they're chanting Hare Krishna in the background. There's a dead giveaway. <laughs> there's a little tambourine in this one. Should we... <laughs> Yes, as a very brilliant comedian mind pointed out, the worst lyric in show business ever is Bangladesh, Bangladesh, it sure looks like a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> but he meant well. He did mean well. No, 
you, you should not do spandex now that I'm thinking about okay. it. You're so, that's so, I think that's a blessing in disguise. You should be like a, you know, there's, there's, there's no good like American James Bond. I mean, like. There's a lot, it's, a, it's become a crowded space at this point. I think what, what I've been able to do. Not a James Bondian type, no. I've been able to uh, carve out some fun things to do, most recently with Fletch. That I'm oh, able yeah. to like, okay, I'll just kind of reboot this and put a little spin on it. There's a couple more, uh, there's you know, a couple more books left to do. Let's not my favorite those. movie of yours is Beirut. It's a great film. Nobody saw it. It's a really. That is a great. It's a great movie. And you know who wrote it? And you're perfect. I mean, you're so good in that. That's what you should play. I would do that for the rest of my life. Right. If I could make Three Somebody, Days of the Condor for the rest of my life, I'd right. keep doing it's that. Right. It's very, that movie is very sure. Three Days of the Condor-ish. Tony Gilroy wrote that movie. Tony Gilroy. That, and that movie, that I movie never, sat on a, on a shelf Tony for 15 Gilroy, years. Tony Gilroy, who wrote the first Born Identity. And wrote Syriana. Uh, Syriana and wrote, wrote uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. And, and directed I'm way. sure other uh, Tony Gilroy's a he's kind of like the Robert Town yeah. of this genre. What a that makes a lot of sense. It's a great film. Thank you. Well, all right. So let's get you and Tony Gilroy. Fuck. When is he still have his he canceled? What did he do? No, like, he didn't do anything. He started writing Star Wars movies. Spandex. Rogue One. I mean, or rewrote it. I guess something. maybe Star Wars isn't spandex, but it's honorary spandex. <laughs> honorary spandex. Oh shit! Is it seven thirty? It is. God, I have to. I'd be at dinner at eight. I'm gonna. All right, uh, I have to. Did I do the plug? Yes, you did the plug. (laughs) Did I do the plug? You did the plug an hour ago. I could sit here all night (laughs) with you, buddy. I wish we could do this more. Well, we can. We're okay. (laughs) We're free agents. You have my. You have my phone number, and I live right down the street. You do? Well, a long way down the street. It's a long street. Sunset. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Don't hit yeah. me. Right. Oh. What a pleasure. So much fun. What a pleasure. Thank you. Oh,